Welcome to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. In this episode, we are going to give you advice for your present and future self. We're actually going to do something a little bit different for this installment of our podcast. We're going to break it up into two little mini episodes because we had too much advice to fit it into a single one. The first of these two mini episodes is going to focus on being the absolute best applicant you can be. And we are joined today by a very special guest, an admissions dean who is recording from the Big Apple, Cassandra Williams, known to us as Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Sandy is my former colleague and the assistant dean for JD Admissions at NYU School of Law. Welcome. It's so nice to have you here today. Please take a minute and introduce yourself. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And You know, I've been at NYU for about 10 years, serving as the Dean of Admissions for four of those years. And I've carved out a career working in the admissions world. Before NYU, I worked at two other law schools, including with our friends in Cambridge. And I also spent spent a few years working in undergraduate admissions before that. Now, for a fun fact about me, um, I'm going to go way back to my high school days. In order to fulfill my physical education requirement, I signed up for a flamenco dance class one semester, and I actually own my own set of castanets. (laughs) So, Sandy, we're so glad to have you joining us to help us think about the do's, don'ts, and definitely, definitely don'ts. We are going to start each of these how-to episodes with a very short game, uh, and this is a favorite from Road Trips. Which neither Sandy nor I have ever played, to be clear. <laughs> but I have. So welcome to the game tradition, Sandy. So this is fortunately, unfortunately. Basically, we tell a story as a group, taking turns, adding a new detail or twist in the narrative as we go. And we alternate between fortunately and unfortunately as the prompt for each step. And the story will concern the journey of a law school applicant, I assume? Exactly. And when you play this game as a kid, the fun part is creating sorts of bizarre and outlandish scenarios, but we'll skew it closer to reality. I think our reality is outlandish enough, especially this past year. (laughs) You can stay pretty close to it. All right. I'll start with the setup and then we will focus on the application stage, ending with the admissions decision. So once upon a time, Jennifer decided that she wanted to go to law school. She took her GRE, wrote her essays and asked for letters of recommendation. Then she decided to reach out to the admissions office of her first choice school, Fictional Law School, or FLS. Fortunately, she crafted a very lovely email. She started it with an honorific, so she said, Dear Dean of Admissions. And the email asked a question that could not be found on the website. Good job, Jennifer. Yeah, that's great, Jennifer. Now, unfortunately, she sent her email to not just the Dean of Admissions, but faculty and other colleagues on campus. (laughs) Oh, Jennifer. Fortunately, the faculty and other colleagues on campus were so busy and had such a swamped inbox that they didn't even notice it. Unfortunately. Oh, God. Jennifer, what horrible thing have you done next? Unfortunately, when she did not receive a responsive email by the very next morning after she sent it after business hours the day before, she sent an email saying, I have not yet received a response. I'm just following up to see if I can get a response more quickly. Oh, it's hard to come back from that. It's very hard to come back from that. Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer. 
Fortunately, she ended the email apologizing for taking up everyone's time and recognizing that she found the information on her own by doing a little research. And luckily, her GRE score was extremely high, as was her her GPA. And she had, you know, won some very fancy prizes and had amazing extracurricular work experience. And so she was admitted to FLS. (laughs) Without any further ado, let's turn to our advice on how to be an amazing applicant. I thought we would start our discussion today with events hosted by admissions offices or the admissions community. So as all of you have probably already gleaned, these events can come in many forms. So when you take a look at any of our websites or the websites of other schools, you're going to find some or all of the following opportunities. We might have campus tours or information sessions for visitors who come to visit a law school, although this year uh, those are probably a little bit up in the air. Uh, Events where we come to visit your school or city, either alone or in small groups for information sessions or other events. And then also these large scale forums or fairs, although I'm not sure what the difference between a forum and a fair, uh, where numerous schools are present. And of course, virtual sessions of all different kinds. I think we can all agree that virtual events are here to stay, even post-pandemic. Oh, yes, they are. So let's start with the basics. How can applicants find information about all of these different events? Well, each school's admissions office has a website and typically keeps the events prominently featured. Yeah, a quick Google should bring you to the events page. Um, Or if you're on the school's website, you can look for something like connect with admissions or something similar. Please, before you email the admissions office and ask about events, just Google first, because we really try to make them pretty easy to find. You can also sign up for a school's email list, either directly on their website or by registering through LSAC. They have a candidate referral service, which you can opt into. Uh, This will also let schools reach out to you with event invitations, information about their school or application process, and sometimes even fee waivers. Um, If you hear us referring to CRS, that's what we mean. That's the candidate referral service. It's a little short form. Assuming in-person events move forward in fall 2021 and for in-person events in the future, Miriam and Sandy, what is your advice for applicants who are attending events in person? So once uh, we feel comfortable and you feel comfortable to go to in-person events, I would really suggest you try to come, uh, especially if it's convenient for you to do so. I really think it's a great opportunity to to get to know a little bit more about the school and their admissions process. All schools, like all institutions, have cultures. uh, And it's important to really try and get a sense of what schools are a good fit for you. And I do think that these events are one way to get uh, a first taste of those individual cultures. And... I would suggest coming to an event with a few ideas of what you're hoping to get out of it. You know, if there are multiple schools present, which ones do you want to make sure that you talk to? What are you listening for when you're engaging with the school's representatives? As you think about the questions on your mind, are they about the application process or more about the curriculum or culture at the schools? All of these kinds of questions are important. And thinking through your purpose and questions in advance will really help you make the most of the event. You might even sit down ahead of time and write out a few of the questions you want to make sure you have answered. And you don't have to be the one to ask the question, right? Like knowing what you're listening for and the information you want to hear is just as important as being the one to ask the question. Uh, Sandy, 
And Miriam, what are some of the most interesting questions you've been asked at in-person events? So I'll start. Um, There aren't really any particular standouts that come to mind, but I think the best questions are those that show someone is trying to make the connection between specific aspects of our program and their individual goals and interests. It really demonstrates that the person is being thoughtful about the process and has a sincere interest in our school. I always like it when the conversation feels genuine, no matter what the questions are, rather than just purely transactional. And by that, I mean that when someone is asking a question because they really want to know the answer and can't find the information elsewhere, is actually interested in what I have to say. Um, I've even chatted about travel tips or favorite podcasts or you know restaurants and book recommendation. It's nice when it feels like the person is engaging with me as a human being and not just as a figurehead or an admissions officer. That, that's just a nicer way to, to deal with people. So one question I got asked at an in-person event a couple of years ago, which I really enjoyed was, if you were starting at HLS this fall as a 1L, but knew everything you knew now, how would that have changed your experience? And that was a fun one for me to answer. And hopefully the attendee got something out of it too. How about advice for applicants attending virtual events? I've got one. Keep yourself <laughs> on mute during Zoom meetings. That's not, that's not applicant advice. That is just life advice. Just keep yourself on mute, people. So also think about your use of the chat and for webinars, the Q&A box. I actually really enjoy the chat as a side conversation and another way to connect with folks and answer questions. But there are some attendees who just blow up those Q&A boxes in the chats, asking question after question. And when that happens, Everyone involved loses the thread of conversation. And as the presenter and as the on the admissions officer side, it's very difficult for you to track what's happening. Same advice for virtual forum events where there are message board style chat functions. And if you are attending a themed webinar, I think you should try to keep your questions on topic. The presenters and the other attendees at the event will really thank you for it. For example, if it's a webinar about personal statements, then you should try to resist the urge to submit questions after question about test scores. It just doesn't apply in that context. And here's another one that I find happens a lot more in these virtual events than it ever did in these in-person events. Don't ask a question if it's already been answered. I find that people just ask these repetitive questions. For example, you know, do you have a test score cutoff? No, we don't. And then, you know, five questions later, well, do you have a test score cutoff? No, we don't. What about video on or video off if it's one of those meeting style events? What do you think, Sandy? So as a presenter, I think it's really challenging to stare at a bunch of black boxes on a screen. Like, hello, is there anyone out there? (laughs) Um, Is there anybody out there? (laughs) That said, it's totally fine to go video off if that's what feels right to you. You know, I know applicants sometimes think there's an advantage to keeping your video on and it seems like you're more fully present, but I don't think they should feel that pressure. And if you really want to keep your video off, that's perfectly fine. I always beg people to ask questions live. Like I always give the option of chat or live. And I'm always like, please, guys, just one live question. It's so hard for me. And there's no pressure again. It's just so nice when you have the voice instead of just the chat. (laughs) So that's just a please for my sake, not for yours, just for me. Turn your video on once in a while, some of you. 
ask a question live once in a while. Sandy, your answer made me think of a broader question that applicants often ask. Does it give you a boost in the process if you come to these events? So put differently, would your attendance at an event, either virtual or in person, impact the final outcome of your application? So the simple answer is no. Uh, And that might be a little different than for undergraduate admissions, where I have a sense that the answer may be yes. You can come to events, whether in person or virtual, uh, because you want to learn something. We are meeting hundreds and virtually sometimes thousands of prospective applicants and applicants every cycle. It would be very, very difficult for us to remember the impression everyone made on us, even if we wanted to. I will be honest, though. We have a very, very fancy database system that allows us to track everything from event attendance to how many times you've clicked on our emails. It's really crazy what you know the Big Brother system can tell us. But we're not tracking it for that purpose and checking to see whether you've attended events when we've made decisions. I would strongly resist doing that. I don't think that's a fair expectation on applicants. Uh, We believe it's a privilege to come to these events. We know that not everyone has the same uh, access to the resources that would allow them to come, the same time available to do it, the same knowledge about events out there. And so it wouldn't be a fair thing to expect people to attend unless they, they, they want to and can. And here's my one caveat. If you're memorable but in a bad way, that could potentially impact things. Yeah, we can't unsee or unexperience something that happened to us. I'll give one example. I was at an in-person event on a college campus a few years ago, and there was one attendee who was very nice, but I I couldn't shake him. And he followed me out of asking questions the whole time. He followed me all the way across the campus for 25 minutes and all the way to the parking garage and then wanted to walk me to my car in the parking garage. And it started to make me feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And believe you, believe you me. And then it was fine. And he went on his merry way. But I wrote down the name of that applicant and I was nervous he was going to play. He ultimately didn't. Uh, But I remember thinking, how will, it was just such an uncomfortable situation. What will I do if this person ends up applying? I just had a flashback. Actually, you just made me have a flashback to an applicant who followed me and took the subway with me leaving an event. And that was very awkward. (laughs) Very, very awkward and a little spooky. The parking garage was spooky too. And I was like, (laughs) Sure, we can take this away together. But then you're like, do I get off near my hotel? Like, I don't know. I feel a little weird. Don't do that. That's bad. Bad practice as an applicant. So let's chat about individual sessions with admissions officers, not ones in parking garages or on the subway, (laughs) ones that are um, potentially scheduled in advance. So first, (laughs) do your schools offer this opportunity? And if so, how would a student sign up for an individual session with an admissions officer? Yeah, so we do. That's something that I started um, in the last few years. Uh, We offer one-on-one appointments and um, drop-in office hours. Uh, We want to be accessible to applicants. uh, And we know that there are some questions that are just better suited for sort of a smaller setting than a big group event. So at NYU, we're unable to offer individual sessions with an admissions officer, but prospective students are more than welcome to call or email our office with any questions they may have. And when in-person visits are possible once again, um, applicants may come to our office to speak with an admissions representative at our front desk. No appointment necessary. If a school offers the opportunity to have an appointment with an admissions officer, when should an applicant take advantage of that opportunity? 
I think it's helpful to do so only when you have specific questions that are not covered on the website. Um, I think meeting with an officer to discuss aspects of your background and how they connect to the offerings um, of that particular institution are sort of a great use of time. Um, and you should take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important to do your homework ahead of time. It's always a great sign when someone set, starts that kind of appointment with, okay, so I have three or four questions. And then they sort of launch into them and they're very specific. They're things they can't find on the website. And it feels like they're driving that conversation. I always open those conversations with, hi, so nice to meet you. How can I help? And I think sometimes people are surprised because they expect me to launch into it, but it's really, I'm there to help you. And I am expecting you to drive that conversation. This is not an opportunity to kiss up. That is not what it's there for. It is there for me to help you with questions that you can't otherwise have answered. Um, we don't have a ton of appointment slots available. There are times of year where they are they are over full, where you know, there's essentially a waiting list. And so it's really important that um, the highest and best use of them is really for applicants with specific or complex questions that need to be answered in person. Or not really in person, but you know, <laughs> over the phone with with a with an admissions officer, right? And and you won't gain any additional insight if you spend every minute of the appointment on procedural matters or basic information that you can find elsewhere. Yeah, and please don't ask like chance me. A I can't tell you without reading your whole application, and even if I could, I wouldn't. It would be completely inappropriate. What if a school does not explicitly offer appointments with admissions officers on their website? Their website's silent on the matter. Should an applicant reach out and ask to schedule an appointment? I have two thoughts on this. Part of me says that it never hurts to ask, right? Um, you never know. A school may provide you with the opportunity to speak to an individual one-on-one. -on, -one. Um, on the other hand, for schools that have to work through a high volume of applicants, there may be a really good reason why they're unable to offer one-on-one uh, -on -one visits, then you should respect that. Shifting gears, when you are in the applicant mode, what is the best medium to reach out to admissions offices and ask a question? Call, email, follow to the parking garage? <laughs> Never the parking garage. <laughs> I think calling or emailing is fine. Just as there is no sort of boost for coming to an event, there's no advantage to showing up in person to ask a question versus calling or emailing. What are your thoughts on individual LinkedIn messages to admissions officers? Okay, so I'm a traditionalist when it comes to interacting with administrators at an institution that you hope to attend someday, um, especially if this is your first introduction to them. So I stay, say stick with more formal means of communication. Go with email. I feel the same way. I, I would definitely prefer an email over a LinkedIn message. If I'm going to have substantive interaction with you, it's not going to be via LinkedIn message. I know they're well-intentioned, but those LinkedIn messages always feel awkward to me. So for one thing, I feel a bit odd. I wouldn't accept a connection request from someone I don't know because they're not actually in my professional network. And I agree, more official channels like email make better sense. 
Can I say something about interactions with front desk staff? We haven't you touched may. on it yet. Yes, thank you, thank you for permission. I actually think it's super important. Um, and whether it's email or phone, usually those interactions are going to the front desk staff. Uh, and it's extremely important. I think this almost goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, to keep those interactions as professional, as polite, as respectful as if you're talking to Sandy or Christy or the Dean of Admissions at any school. When an applicant is rude or aggressive or exasperating or inappropriate, we will hear about it. And that type of behavior, that can make the difference between being admitted or not. Any examples that people want to share? Sandy? So we had an applicant who called the office with questions and they insisted that they speak with a real person instead of of the team member who answered the phone. Um, (laughs) And, you know, this team member answers the phone and answers emails all day, every day. The applicant made it very clear that they thought our admissions assistant just wasn't qualified to answer their basic questions. And I bet they weren't qualified for NYU. Right. Uh, This level (laughs) of disrespect is often a red flag for me and is usually a sign that the applicant would not be a good fit for our community. My front desk team member has worked in the admissions office longer than I have. I go to him for questions sometimes about procedural (laughs) matters. So I have a, this isn't an applicant one, but it's the one that came to mind when I was thinking about this. We rejected an applicant this past cycle. And then I had a parent who repeatedly called the dean's office and the admissions office berating and threatening us for rejecting the child. It was so off-putting and inappropriate. It certainly did not result in a re-review or a different decision. I don't even know if it was the poor applicant's fault. It's entirely possible they had no idea about the parent's behavior, but boy, that was so unimpressive. So parents out there, if you're listening, don't do that. It's not going to change anything. I had a parent um, send me an email calling me an idiot for waitlisting <laughs> their son, and it didn't help matters. So another post-rejection story, we had an applicant who sent a flurry of just, I'll just describe them as unbecoming and unprofessional messages to our front desk inbox after being denied. And perhaps the person thought that the main inbox was just monitored by a robot or something, some automated response, but there's actual humans who read these emails. And it that day it happened to be me. And I didn't forget that person the following year when they reapplied. We have long memories. Like elephants. <laughs> <laughs> When you are an applicant, should you reach out to student groups at a law school or individual students you don't know? I've noticed an uptick in applicants taking this step, particularly on LinkedIn. So for student groups, I think it's like admissions offices. Follow their lead. A lot of student organizations at all of our schools will put up web pages on their sites specifically for prospective students, um, and they encourage you to reach out to them. And if you opt into the candidate referral service, CRS, that we mentioned before, you may actually hear directly from students or student groups at schools yourself. Obviously, you should feel free to connect with an organization or a student who reaches out to you. This can be a great way to get advice about the application process and learn more about the school. And when student organizations and individual students sign up to do this type of work, they're genuinely excited about it. They want to help you. 
The LinkedIn thing to me is a little bit more gray. On the one hand, LinkedIn exists in part for networking of exactly this kind. And these current law students could be your future colleagues uh, and classmates in the profession. And so if they're open to connecting and they accept your request, that's great. But just remember that they're really busy too. They may be getting a lot of these kinds of requests and they may uh, or may not feel comfortable with this kind of cold reach out from people they don't know. So you may want to start with, with students who you share a connection with, either a shared undergraduate or, you know, having a connection in common to make it more likely that they will accept that request and connect with you. Some students at HLS have gotten inquiries on TikTok and Instagram. I've had a few Twitter stars in my uh, in my student body, and they get a ton of requests on social media. And as for current students on TikTok, I mean, if they're using hashtag Harvard Law, hashtag Law School, hashtag Law School Life, and more in their postings, and they make them public, that suggests that they might be interested in sharing their experience, at least through their TikTok videos. So for prospective students reaching out cold, I guess try to gauge whether the person on social media seems eager to connect or not. But as Miriam said, they might also be busy and uh, don't take it personally if they don't respond. Yeah, social media is such a tricky thing. I, for one, am a little bit more of a Luddite compared to everyone else. <laughs> so um I, I definitely stick to more formal channels, but if there are opportunities for you to take advantage of these mediums, do it. Should you ask admissions teams to pair you with a student? Uh, this is such a tricky one. I mean, some schools offer this and some don't. I mean, it's really, really tricky for us on the admission side. Of course, we want to help all the applicants learn about our school. We think our current students um, are amazing and we would love to be able to do this for everyone who asked. But we have many, many, many more applicants than students and it could very quickly get overwhelming. Uh, and I feel very strongly I don't want to do something for one applicant that I can't do for any applicant that asks and to make sure there's um you know, it's equitable. So we do have at YLS an Ask a Law Student email address that students who work for the admissions officer staff. So for us, that can be a great way to have a student answer your specific questions. And I'm sure other schools do something similar um, or maybe something a little bit different. And we do have some pairing that goes on, but I, I thought the email address was a, a medium ground we could try. Yeah. And I think it, it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of research before you ask. Um, if a school that offers a program that matches applicants with students, definitely sign right up. At NYU, once you're admitted, we'll automatically match you with a current student. Um, so you don't need to contact us for that. But if a school does not offer these pairings, there's probably a good reason why. Yeah, I, th I think that's sort of a theme you're probably hearing that do your research, you know, it's okay to ask, but don't push things because usually we've put a lot of thought and there's a reason why we've made the decisions that we have. I At HLS, we always feel bad saying no to this, but as Miriam alluded to earlier, you have to say yes to everybody or no to everybody. You can't pick and choose between the thousands of prospective students who reach out every year. I wish that our team and that the student body had the bandwidth to do these types of matching for prospective applicants, but we don't. All right. Let's say it's been a while. So let's talk about application follow-up and feedback. Let's say... I love this topic. I just <laughs> want to start. <laughs> 
Let's say it's been a while since you heard from a school. Radio silence for weeks or even months. Should you reach out to that school and ask for a status update? Just to be clear, weeks is not a while. <laughs> Might feel start, like a while. There. That's right. That's right. But, you know, I understand the feeling. Once you submit your application, waiting for a decision can feel like an eternity. Um, but trust me, we have not forgotten about you and we will get back to you. It's just that the process is both objective and comparative. And an admissions committee is often constantly reviewing and re-reviewing the vast majority of the applicant pool. I know it doesn't feel like it from the outside, but we are truly doing our very best to get you answers as quickly as we can in a way that is equitable to applicants and also ensuring that we can meet our own admissions goals by admitting the strongest possible class. If you are not admitted to a school, should you request feedback on your application? I can say that those requests make me uncomfortable, especially when they come to me directly. Exactly the same. We have a very strict policy. We never give feedback on applications. It would be overwhelming for our office if we did so. I do think there are some schools that might have programs where they give feedback. So certainly do that research. Uh, but I guess this is a situation where if you can't find it on the website, maybe it can't hurt to ask. That's a question that should go to the main admissions account. You should not be emailing us directly. You know, ask the main admissions office if there's such a program before asking for the feedback itself would be my suggestion. I think that's exactly right, Miriam. Um, at NYU, we do not provide feedback either. Presumably, someone looking for specific feedback is doing so in order to tweak their application in ways that they hope will result in a different outcome in a future cycle. Um, but each application cycle is different and each applicant pool is different. And other than the general advice and guidelines that we already provide, there's not much more I think we could say to improve one's chances for admission. So for those who are not accepted to a school, what about a request for reconsideration of the decision? We do not ever reconsider decisions under any circumstance. So at NYU, we get reconsideration requests as well. Um, and we will review uh, such a request at the conclusion of the cycle. So after all other decisions have been made for the regular applicant pool. And we'll take another look just to make sure that sort of we haven't overlooked something that we should have um, taken into consideration before. What are the kind of things that would make you change a decision? Well, I will say I haven't really seen it happen in in a very long time. At schools, these are really policy decisions and they're often not made. The, the, choice, the decision to have a policy or a system for reconsideration requests is not one that's going to be made on a one-off basis based on your what the arguments you marshal in a email that you send to the admissions office, it would be a larger policy consideration that would be discussed from a more objective and hypothetical point of view, presumably published right. <laughs> the way NYU has a published system and then made available. Uh, it's not going to be a one-off, a one-off um, policy choice that's made just for you. At HLS right now, our policies, all decisions are final. There's no circumstance whatsoever that would spur 
a reconsideration of a decision that's been rendered. No matter how impassioned the plea, the answer will still be to apply in a future year or as a transfer. Let's finish up this episode with a lightning round. Your absolute no-nos. What not to do as an applicant. So this just happened to me uh, recently. So this is why I'm thinking of this one. An email should go to one person or one email account. Please do not send the same email cut and paste to more than one email address. It is totally duplicative and a waste of people's times. Uh, applicants often send the email to the main inbox, to me, to some of my colleagues and you know senior administrators, to the dean of the law school, to faculty members. An email about admission should go to the main admissions account, unless you have a relationship with a specific admissions officer who you've met, who you know, who you've spoken to, in which case it can easily go to them. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> um, for me, I'd say don't send updates that aren't really updates. Um, sending multiple emails to express your interest in being admitted won't really move the needle if the admissions committee hasn't yet rendered a decision. Instead, updates should include new substantive information that would help us assess, actually assess your qualifications and potential to thrive in our community. Updated transcripts or a resume, I think, are good examples uh, that come to mind of this. But sending five separate emails uh, <laughs> within the span of five weeks that say the same thing, just that you really want to come to our institution, isn't really helpful. I know we touched on this already, but I do want to underscore, do not reach out to ask a question that can be easily answered from a quick Google. Some examples include, when does your application open? How many letters of recommendation do you accept? Almost always, these frequently asked questions are easily available on a school's frequently asked questions page or in the application instructions. And I do think some applicants, I think there's even advice out there that applications should reach out to demonstrate interest in the school, but it doesn't when you have a let me Google this for you question. It doesn't show interest. It's certainly not going to help your application. It can only hurt. It just feels like the prospective student, it is experienced by us as someone doesn't want to take 10 seconds to figure out an answer that we spent time putting on a website. And it does make us feel like you won't be able to handle all that law school will throw at you, even if we did admit it you. So with all of this said, I just want to be clear, even though we've done a little bit of, of venting, which I think was very legitimate, and this is all excellent advice, almost none of these things are actually disqualifying. You yes. will definitely be the best applicant out there if you follow all of our advice. Many people who don't follow this advice are admitted to our schools and many other amazing, excellent, wonderful schools. This is if you want to be the A-plus applicant, you will take all of this Fantastic advice. But don't stress if you've done any of these things. I promise it will not be disqualifying most of the time unless you follow Christy or me or Sandy into a parking garage or onto the subway. And yes, that might be disqualifying. Or have your dad email me and tell me I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Don't email any of us and tell us we're idiots. That's just bad practice. Or our front desk staff or anyone on our team. <laughs> Well, that's the end of the first of our two-part series where we talked a little bit about how to be an amazing applicant. Thank you so much, Sandy. And we can't wait to have you back for part two, how to be the best possible admit. Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. 
This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.